You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to church. Good evening and welcome to evening service. Just go ahead and say hi to some, some person around you. It's nice to have you online today with us. For those of you streaming with us on YouTube, for those of you streaming with us on Instagram, for those of you connected on Mixlr, it's nice to have you today with us for service. Alright, if you are on the road, if you are on the road, please pay attention. If you are not on the road, if you're privileged to be in a seated position, in one particular position, or uh, give your thanks, so please bring out your writing materials and your Bibles. As we continue the second installment in the teaching series that we have titled Rightly Divided, alright? The second installment in the teaching series that we have titled Rightly Divided. And last week I started by teaching you, um, we read from 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 that says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Amen. And, and we talked about spoudazu. Do you remember? Being diligent in the things of scripture. Giving yourself diligently to the things of scripture. Now this teaching series is going to run for about six weeks. So I'm going to take my time. This is Wednesday service and if you know anything about Second Church Wednesday services, Wednesday services are designed for growth. Hallelujah. Wednesday services are designed specifically for discipleship. So take it like this, that you are going through a discipleship class. Amen. Every Wednesday when we come up here and we teach the Word of God, we are taking you through a discipleship class. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so please prepare, alright, prepare and be ready for everything that God is ready to send to you today. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Are you there? First Peter chapter 3, verse number 15. I was praying a couple of days ago. I think that was two days ago. And the Lord said to me that every problem that is stable at Faith Mountain is going to receive an answer. It's going to see a solution. Every problem that is stable at Faith Mountain will see a solution. And I was so excited about that. I was so excited about that. I mean, I was praying this afternoon, just a few minutes, very short, like 10 minutes of prayer. And then the Lord, I saw a vision of a person being delivered from attacks, from attacks of the enemy. I'm telling you, there's so much that God wants to do at Faith Mountain on Saturday. If you know anything, and if you if you if you know you need it, you've got to be at Faith Mountain. Hallelujah! I said you've got to be at Faith Mountain. You've got to tell someone to be at Faith Mountain. Who we'll spend some time praying? Who we'll spend some time singing? Who we'll spend some time listening to the word? And most importantly, who we'll spend some time attending to it? You see, because the Holy Ghost meeting is a meeting where the word is taught. All right, and then it's also a meeting where things are edified. Needs are met, and there is free flow given to the expression of the things of the Spirit. And that's what Faith Mountain is. It's a Holy Ghost meeting. 
Do you see what I'm saying? It's a Holy Ghost meeting. So it's a meeting you don't want to miss. It's a meeting you want to be a part of. It's a meeting you want to invite people to be a part of. Especially if you know that there are things that need shifting in your life. Listen, we hardly ever do this in Circle Church. Alright? Because we, we, we take our time in every service to edify one another. But when we organize the meeting, and we say that that meeting is specifically for meeting needs, you better be a part of it. Hallelujah. So you want to set the time. You want to set an alarm. It's for 7 p.m. on the 18th of July. Saturday, the 18th of July. 7 p.m. till about 10 p.m. We'll spend some good time praying. We'll spend some good time worshiping. And we'll spend some good time flowing in the things of the Spirit. You don't want to miss one minute of it. You don't want to miss the prayer sessions. You don't want to miss the Bible teaching session. You don't want to even miss the flow of the Spirit. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And this is the interesting thing. Some people, because of the anticipation that you already have for faith mountain, there are already miracles happening now. Yes, there are miracles happening now. I've seen somebody, you've had an itchy eye for a while now, for the last two weeks. Your left eye has been itching horrendously. I mean, it's terrible. But as I'm speaking now, that eye is being cleared up. That itch is going away. It was red, but it's going down. You feel like tears coming out from your eye. Just that eye. Just that eye. It's a watery eye. It's going now. In the name of Jesus. It's going now. In anticipation for the things that will happen at the faith mountain, miracles are already beginning to happen. Because when faith is released, the power of God is released. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Are you ready? Woo, thank you, Lord. Alright, let's do today's service, alright? Today's not faith mountain, and let's not make it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Are you there? Are you there? It says, But in your hearts, honor, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter was admonishing you, and he said, Honor the Lord in your heart as holy, and always be prepared to make a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so as a believer, you should be ready, you should be always ready, always prepared to say, this is why I believe the things I believe in. And so there must be an academic approach to your knowledge on the things of the, of the gospel, to your knowledge on the things about Christianity. Yes, on one hand, this knowledge is what transforms your life, and you must have a spiritual approach in that way. But on the other hand, there must be sort of like an academic approach. And so you try to learn the right terms. What is really what? How should it be said? What should I say? Do you understand this? An academic approach of sorts. Praise Jesus. Listen, as a believer, don't just follow everything you are told who can and sinker. It's wrong to do so. Did you hear what I said? I said it's wrong to do so. You don't just listen to things and swallow them who can and sinker. Listen, turn with me to Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, um, let's start from verse 20. He says, Do not despise prophecies. He says, But 
confess everything and hold fast what is good. So there are things that will be said to you. Listen, think about it like this. Many times when you listen to a teaching of God's word, sometimes we see what the person is saying. You have what is good and what is not good. Think about it like um, on certain things. So when you just go to the market and you buy a sack of beans, you have shaft and then you have the beans that you need to cook. As a believer, sometimes some teachings will come and it's like on certain beans, you need to separate the shaft from the beans. Do you understand this? But how do you know to separate shaft from beans if you don't know what beans should look like? How do you know to separate shaft from beans if you don't know what is good and what is bad? In Hebrews chapter 5, don't move me to Hebrews 5. Don't move to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's read from verse 13 to 14. You know what from verse 11? He says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time, you although by this time, you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. And so the right now Hebrews is connoting something that there is a level to which you must grow per time. Do you understand this? Your level of understanding in Bible things must differ per time. At some point you must have grown enough to be a teacher. Notice that he didn't say, oh, you are not ordained a teacher, so you are not a teacher. He said, no, you have become dull of hearing. You know what it means to be dull of hearing? It means to refuse, to deliberately refuse to understand. He said, you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need the basic principles to be explained to you over and over and over and over and again. Listen, the right of Hebrews is saying, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. That you need milk, not solid food. Milk is good. Right? Milk is good. For a baby, milk is everything. Milk is all the food. But as that baby grows, the ration of milk that he receives reduces. And now he must consume solid food. Because if he's only consuming milk, he will be malnourished. He will not grow properly. So, as a believer, you must grow. Now, when he says milk and not solid food, what is he talking about? Is he talking about stages of grammar? No, no, no. He's not. A lot of people say, oh, milk. Milk is the baby stuff. You know, the peripheral knowledge of the gospel. Then, solid food is the deep meat. The bone the gospel, the bone of spiritual things, not really. You see, because the entirety of the gospel hinges on three things, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Anybody that understands these three things in any form understands all of the gospel. So what is he talking about? He's talking about rather how it's communicated. Do you understand this? For the writers of Hebrew, 
for the, for the people in the Hebrew assembly to whom he was writing, he had to use parables. He had to use many illustrations. When you see the book of Romans, for example, Paul just said what needed to be said. Why? They were not babies. But in the end, understand that there is a level you must grow to per time as a believer. You must grow consistently per time as a believer. Are you following? He says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Hey, look at that word. Is unskilled. Which means it is a skill. You can be skillful with the word of righteousness. You can, you can be, you know what it means to be skillful? It means to be proficient in handling the matter. Do you understand this? You can be skillful. So for example, you see a footballer and you say, oh, he's so skillful. Why do you say he's skillful? Because he's proficient in handling and manipulating the football on the pitch. So when he says you are unskilled in the word of righteousness, you probably know the word of righteousness, but you don't know how to handle it. Of course, you repeatedly over and over and over and again, and there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But at certain moments, the devil comes and he brings condemnation your way, and you fall. What happens? You are unskilled in the word of righteousness. John this. You have no skill. You are not well trained. You are not well versed. So, listen. This is why it's important for you to write this Bible word of truth. It's not just for you to know it, but for you to become skillful at it. Paul calls himself a wise, he says, I have laid a foundation like a wise master builder. That is a skillful builder. Someone that knows how to build this stuff. He said, and the healer said, let every man therefore take care how he builds on the foundation that has been laid. For no other foundation can be laid except Jesus. Do you see? So he's saying, I'm skilled in this thing. I know it. Can you truly hit your chest and say, I'm skilled in the world? There's a term that, that they used to use on Sunday school that I really love. It's the word, is the term word smith. I like that word because it connotes a level of skillfulness in the handling of the word. Basically, you are a word smith. You are skillful in the handling of the word of God. And you should that you should you should you should you should desire to be that skillful. You shouldn't just see someone else handle the word of God well and you say, oh wow, the guy is so skillful. And then you stop there. You see, because like unlike other professions where you can hire the professionals, every believer must be a professional in the world. Do you understand this? I don't need to learn how to plow the hair. They are professional plumbers. I don't need to learn how to plumb on how to fix plumbing. They are professional plumbers. People who are skillful in those things. But listen, every believer is a professional in the Word of God. So you are either an incompetent professional or a competent one. Difference between any two plumbers, where one came, he collected so much money and did nothing, and the other one came, collected the same amount and everything worked perfectly. He's killed. 
and nobody goes back to an, to an unprofessional or incompetent professional. Nobody does that. So every believer is a professional in the world. He has given to us the message of reconciliation. So you, you have this your profession. Paul calls Jesus the apostle of our profession. So he is your profession. Do you see that? The word of God is your profession. You can either be skillful in it or be incompetent in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, I'm going to be skillful in the word. Say, I'm going to be skillful in the word. Yeah. Says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is not talking about demons. This is talking about the word of righteousness. He says, you are a child because you are skilled in the word of righteousness. So strong means this for those who are skilled in the word of righteousness. And how does that skill show itself? Their powers of discernment have been trained to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. So when I hear person speak as a skilled wise master builder, as a competent professional, I can tell, oh, this is right. This is not right. This is what is called rightly dividing. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Acts 17, 11. Let's look at, let's, let's look at a couple of people who took out the time to be skillful in the word. Acts 17, 11. He says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Oh, you know, some people have a problem with the fact that when we hear the word, we examine it. We want to discern, is it correct? Is it not correct? So that was something that this brother sitting right here. And then we were listening to his song, and the guy in the song put the scripture. You know, to make a point. And immediately, he went to the Bible. He went to the Bible. And said, you see, now, anytime I get, I just open my Bible to check this. That's the attitude you should have as a believer. There's a lot of information out there about God that is not founded on the truth of Scripture. Do not embrace them. Do not invite them. Be like these believers. He says they were more noble because they received the word with eagerness. So it's not like they were it's not like they were um it's not like they were averse to receiving the word. Alright? It's not like they were they, they didn't want to receive the word. Do you see? They were open, they were happy to receive the word. But even after they received it with all happiness and eagerness, what did they do? The Bible says they examined scriptures. To see if these things were so. Praise the Lord. Let me, let, me, let me answer a question very briefly. And the question, I think we'll answer this question and then we'll wrap up the teaching. Alright, I told you I'm not taking, I'm not rushing through um, this teaching series. 
If we finish this in three days, eight weeks, that's fine. If we finish it not, um, next week, it's also fine. Amen. Alright? But I'm going to take my time to teach all of you. Can the Bible be trusted? Can the Bible be trusted? You see, first of all, for you to say that the Bible can be trusted, you have to first of all ask, what exactly is the Bible's claim? And this is the claim of the Bible. The claim of the Bible is that it is the Word of God. Or rather, it contains the Word of God. You see, I told you last, I told you last year at the camp meeting that not all of the Bible is scripture. Do you understand? But the Bible contains scripture. Do you remember this? I explained to you, the word scripture is from the Greek phrase, Hagios Graphae, which means holy writings. Do you remember? And so if the writings are holy, then they are scripture. And I told you that the word holy means to be set apart for a purpose. Are you following this? So, the holy scriptures are writings, or the holy writings are writings that are set apart for a certain purpose. What is this purpose? Paul tells us that this purpose is the revelation of God's plan. If you read Ephesians 1 from verse 1 to 10, you understand what I'm saying now. This, is, this purpose is the revelation of God's plan to redeem the world, save the world, and bring all of this world under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, the holy writings will be writings towards that purpose. Are you getting this? The holy writings will be writings dedicated to that purpose, scripture. And so the Bible, the book, the Bible, this is not a Bible, but the book, the Bible, alright, is a container for the holy scriptures. All that things were recorded within the Bible, and many of those things were recorded to give context to the holy scriptures. Do you follow what I'm saying? Or should I say it again? Holy Scriptures recorded within the Bible. Alright? But alongside the Holy Scriptures, you have other recordings that are not Holy Scriptures. But they were there to give certain context to the Scriptures. So, for example, when you read the story of Samson and Delilah, the Holy Scripture, it's not Holy Scripture. So why does it exist within the Bible? It, it exists to give you a context to show how the, the people of Israel were ruled by judges of which Samson was one of the judges. Do you understand? And what does this do? It, it gives you a contrast between the rulership of man and the lordship of Jesus. When they were ruled by men who had weaknesses, they were always defeated conquered both physically and spiritually but now under the lordship of Jesus that has changed you see context was given there that story is not Holy Scripture but it is context for Holy Scripture do you understand this? some of the context might be traditional some of them might be geographical some of them might be economical context context exists in different ways some of them might be cultural context but in all in all, context is given. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. So can the Bible be trusted? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, are you there? 
Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to 2. Are you learning something this evening? Alright, Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So God spoke to the Father. I want to do this teaching, but I've done it so many times, and I want to believe that many of you have heard me say this before. Um, he spoke to the Father in, in portions at different times. So he said, at many times, and in many ways, that is, at different times, and in different portions. So, to David, for example, or um, let me put it like this, to Moses, God spoke in a bullying bush. Do you see? To Samson, God spoke through his, his parents and gave him the hair. Do you see that? To David, God spoke um, through the prophet Nathan. Do you see? At many times, in many ways, he spoke to the fathers, the prophets. Do you understand this? And so, we now have the recording of those speakings in what is known as the Old Testament. We have the record of all those things that God said to the fathers by the prophets in what we call the Old Testament. But the Bible tells us, but now he speaks in his son. Now he speaks in his son. Now he speaks in his son. When you read John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, Search the scripture. Because you think in them you have it in your life. But you don't know that these are days that testify of me. And so everything the prophets says to the fathers culminates or find their full expression in the Son. John 5 39, for those of you that need reference. And so Jesus says to us that the scriptures testify of him. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. I want to try to wrap up this teaching. <laughs> but I don't think we'll wrap it up anytime soon. But let's see how fast we can go. 2 Timothy, are you there? Chapter 3, verse 16, all the way to verse 17. Are you there? It says, All scripture is given or is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, alright, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Now, when he says all scripture, is actually referring to holy writings. Now, the interesting thing is, as at the time Paul was writing this to Timothy, there was no New Testament section of your Bible. So when he said all scripture, he was referring to the Old Testament. Are you following this? So the Old Testament, which contains holy writings, because I remember I told you, not all is holy writing, but some things are holy writings, and uh, the Old Testament, which contains holy writings, hallelujah, is inspired by God, which is God breathed. God did not write the scripture, but he inspired the writing of the scripture. But holy men, um, Peter puts it this way, that no, no, no scriptures of private interpretation, but holy men of old, as they were moved by the Spirit, wrote. So, God did not write it. Men wrote it. But these men wrote under the influence of the Spirit. Do you see that? Alright. Who thank you, Lord Jesus? 
Oh, I have some examples. Um, the Peter quotation I just said now, Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty to twenty-one. I have some exact examples here. So an example of where you have the Holy Spirit moving um, men of old. You have Psalm 110 verse 1. When David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit down at my right hand until I make thine enemy thy footstool. I think that's Psalm 110 verse 1. Now you see the fulfillment of that scripture in Matthew 22 from verse 41 to 46. Alright. And now so he says, it's um, the scriptures were inspired by God. And it says, they, were, they are profitable for doctrine. The Greek word for doctrine is the word didaskalia, which means a system of teaching. It's from the word you get, um, it, it, it comes from the root word didaki, and that's the word you get the, the English word didactic from, alright, which means to teach systematically. Do you understand? So didactic, didaki, didaskalia, same um, group of words. Remember, I told you this is a cheap class, so whatever you see, take it. So, didactic, didascalia, didache, same group of words, meaning to teach something systematically or to systematically reveal a piece of information for the purpose of instruction. So, one thing you see in the scripture is that there is a growth or development of knowledge. Do you see? So, the information was systematically revealed for the purpose of instruction. Let me give you an example of something like that in our everyday life. In your mathematics or social studies or basic science or um, when you went secondary school or even in the university, whatever course you are going to take, whatever subject you are going to go through has something called a course outline or a curriculum. And the curriculum is so designed to systematically reveal pieces of information to culminate in a full understanding of the course at the end. Right? That's exactly how the scriptures were written. So when information is systematically revealed, and that's how teaching should be done. So when a person is born again, you don't start by teaching the person about um, um you don't start by teaching the person eschatology, that is um about the end times. Where do you start from? Well, now that you are born again, what do you first of all need to know? This is how you got born again. Hallelujah. This is what it means to be born again. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Let's talk about righteousness. Let's talk about um, justification. Let's talk about sanctification. When we talk about all the things, now we move a step further. What do we need to talk about now? We talk about the feeling of the Spirit. How you've got the Holy Ghost. What that means to you as a believer. Or now we've cleared that. What do we need to talk about now? Ministry. So you need to go out and do ministry. Well, in teaching you about ministry, we'll teach you how to study the Bible. We'll teach you how to pray. We'll teach you how to do things for a new believer. Didactic. You understand? That's doctrine. A lot of people hear the word doctrine and they cringe. Oh, doctrine. No. You're trying to systematize. You're, you're trying to systemize Christianity. You're trying to institutionalize Christianity. You're, you're limiting Christianity to doctrines of. No! If there is no doctrine, it's disorderly. You follow this? If there is no doctrine, it's disorderly. So the Bible presents itself. Um, in an instructive approach to the subject matter of Christ. I said the Bible, this means that the Bible presents an instructive approach to a subject. And that subject is the subject of Christ. And the fact that it's instructive means that he has a subject. And as earlier established, the Bible talks about Jesus. 
Do you understand? From Old Testament to New Testament. Talks about Jesus. First John chapter 1, from verse 1 to 4, John said the things that we've seen, the things we have tasted, the things we have handled concerning the word of life. These are the things that we teach to you. Do you see that? Hallelujah. Do you see that? And I said this means that any quest to know God will ultimately lead to a study of Jesus. And any study of Jesus then must come down to in its must be done in its proper context. Uh, must be conducted from the Bible. So let's say that it, any study of Jesus that must be done in its proper context must be done from the Bible. Must be done from the Bible. Must be conducted from the Bible. So can the Bible be trusted? It can. It can be trusted as the Word of God. We have internal and external evidences. Do you see? Um, I can go forward. I have a lot more to say to you guys, but let me stop. You have internal and you have external evidences. Internal evidences, you see prophecies referenced within the Bible as fulfilled. So you have in another place, in a later place, you have a previous prophecy referenced as it was fulfilled. Do you understand? So you see the apostles, um, something happened and they said, oh, this is what Jesus said. But he said so, so, so. That validates, first of all, the gospel where it was recorded. And then secondly, the deity of Jesus. Do you understand? Another instance, you see Peter say something like the writings of Paul, they are difficult to understand, but they are useful. So that validates that Paul's writings are also scripture. Do you understand? And you have also external evidences. Do you see? So you can go back to the place in Jerusalem and you can see the tomb of Jesus. There are historical records of a man who was alive called Jesus. Do you understand this? I said I was going to study Bible apologetics class. Every, every Monday, and I was going to start from next week Monday. And this is one of the things we're going to talk about the veracity or the, the truthfulness of Scripture. Why should the Bible be believed? So the Bible can be believed, and the Bible can be trusted to lead you to Christ. And there is no other study about God that can be conducted from elsewhere but the Bible. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. You know what? Let's put a pause here because the next uh, subtopic, um, because we've come to the point where every any study of Jesus Christ, any quest to know God will ultimately lead to a study of Jesus. And any study of Jesus that must be done in its proper context will be conducted from the Bible. So the next thing, how then do you study the Bible? And we'll start that next week. Um, we'll start that on Wednesday next week. How do you study the Bible? Wednesday next week, I will answer that question. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. I hope you've learned something today. Yeah, we're going to take some time. I think this teaching will be for six weeks or seven weeks as we, as the Lord leads us, we will have fun. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Father, we give you thanks and praises for a wonderful time of teaching today. Thank you because we've learned so much. Thank you because we are blessed as we learn. Thank you because we grow also as we learn. We are edified and Jesus is glorified. In the name of Jesus we have prayed.